Our sermon this afternoon is from uh, Pastor Steve Andrews, and it is entitled, The Divided Kingdom of Israel. I won't take all the time that I've got. <laughs> um, it was interesting when I was thinking about putting this one together. Um, when I was in high school, uh, history was the last area that, that I um, really enjoyed. I, some of you out there probably really history buffs and enjoy history and things, but it seemed to me like history was uh, so uh, interminably boring. Uh, except for Oklahoma history, I enjoyed that. I seemed like there was, the book that we had had more um, enjoyable things in it. But it, it, and, and yet, in, in, in one way, because at that particular time, we were receiving in school some very valuable information going on uh, in the world. Of course, my first recollection, and some of you are older and some of you go further back and remember, uh, but my first president, I, I've said this before, that I remember, even though I was born during the time that Truman was in office, I remember Eisenhower. And, and so I, I remember him speaking on the TV and doing the things that, but I don't remember any of, hardly anything, what he did, because I was a kid. I was, I was very young at the time. And my dad was, a, was an avid paper reader, and he loved the, the paper, and he would read, and, and so I would, I would become uh, in, enthralled with the, uh, the things in the paper, mostly the funnies. Uh, you know, it was like I was getting some of this information, some of this history, uh, by osmosis, uh, you, you kind of, uh, as you, as you um, are growing, the, these things kind of come uh, to you. And, and so, history as it unfolded in my age was quite profound. I mean, think about um, Kennedy as president being assassinated in my lifetime, and most of the the older people here in, in our lifetime. Um, the Vietnam War. I mean, talk about chaos in the United States. That was fomenting a tremendous amount of chaos uh, that the Vietnam War was. Um, the Oklahoma City bombing. All of a sudden, we, we, we blow up half, half of a building, and uh, they catch the guy, and, and it seems like it just was so quick to happen. 9-11. But we have some young people here that the only people that are the only history they will remember are probably, uh, some of you are um, still young, maybe old enough uh, to remember Bush. I don't know some of you. But the youngest, they're going to grow up Trump and beyond. That's how, how we... Um, grow in uh, to the society. But if you cannot grasp the past, 
you're not going to learn the lessons that have happened in society. And so history is a very important thing for us to, to read and to, and to grasp. I remember one of the things that I remember most, and I've brought it up in some of the messages, is that at the time that I was a young man, a young boy, and they, uh, the big thing was communism. And there was a, a lot going on. In fact, there was shows on TV, there was this, there was that. And it was, it was quite impressive in my mind as to how, how that these people were invading our country to some degree and how that we were trying to keep them out. And then I began to look at the different things that were going on in the world and realizing, yeah, they, they are invading. They're doing this or doing that. But then things began to change, and the Berlin Wall was torn down. Uh, Russia now is no longer USSR. They're, uh, they're just Russia now. And many things have changed, and the, the face of the world has changed. You know, we've had some really bad guys, <laughs> some really, really bad guys, uh, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. These are tremendously, these were bad guys. And look, I look today in this present age, I look at what's going on today, and I say, okay, what's going on in the world? Well, one of the places that's, that's very interesting is my birthplace of Venezuela. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an alien. Not really. <laughs> I could have had dual t citizenship, but uh, um, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela in 1948, June 21st, 1948. And, and my parents said one of the most beautiful places they'd, that they'd been, and my dad had been all over the world. He'd, he'd, he'd seen, seen many places, and he um, I guess of, of all the places to be born, for a woman, that was one of the greatest because there was nannies everywhere <laughs> ready to take care of that blonde-headed boy at any minute uh, So and teach him Portuguese, if you, if you will. But look at it today. Look at just 70 years from the day that I was born to today and look what's going on in that country. You got this guy who, whenever they take a picture of him, he is fat and sassy, and, and he is the dictator of Venezuela. And then you, you get to pan around that country, which used to be very rich, and people are looking in the garbage for their next meal. And so, when we include history in our... Um, in our thinking, in our, um, in our way of, of looking at things, we, we can really grasp things uh, that are going on in the world, but we also have a, a, a very unique place to go for history because God made it, about a third of this book is history. And a third of it is prophecy, and a third of it is Christian living. And so, why in the world would God put all that history 
in this book if it wasn't important, if it didn't have a place, if it wasn't there to teach us lessons, to help us to understand better. The times even that we live in. Now, last week, Curtis had a message, and he was bringing out some very interesting points, and, and he, he went to 1 Corinthians, the, the 10th chapter. And I'm just going to read one verse out of that, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Um, get to that one. I could read the whole thing, but I think this pretty much is, is where I'm going. Now, all these things happen to them for examples. And then if you can go back and you read uh, all of those words there, all of the things that happen, but all of those things, what is written in the historical perspective, all of those things are for examples, and they are written for our admonition. That word admonition actually means instruction. So that we can comprehend things in the real world. The things that are happening today in the real, in the real world. I think they really do help us to understand things. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. So that's you and I. Because when we die, the end of the world is then. Because we're going to be resurrected. We won't know the difference in the time. But we might also be in that, that time frame. So, it is important that we understand. So, where do we start? <laughs> well, I always like to start at the beginning. I don't want to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. But one of the key men that God called out was, was Abram, who later became Abraham. And it's interesting that with, with Abram, God must have seen his heart. Because in Genesis, the 12th chapter, look what he does. He, he gives this man a promise, and this man has no children. He has a wife. He's 75 years old. He may be a little older there. I don't know. Let's go to Genesis, the 12th chapter, and let's read what God does, tells Abram. He says, Get out of your country and from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow! <laughs> I mean, he just unloaded on on Abraham or Abraham as we know him today. He just unloaded on him. And 75 years old, a slightly younger wife, and he's going to get up and he's going to leave, and he has no progeny, but he's got lots of uh, you know, people that are uh, a part of his uh, life, and he has a, a very large uh, contingency of, of servants and and everything. So he gets up and he goes. But Abraham's whole life is a picture in faith, in believing God, in believing the promises that God has given him that he would be made a great nation. It says in, in more than one place, but in Galatians, um, the third chapter in verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Long before 
he had Isaac. He believed that God was, even though he was a little skeptical, so was Sarah. And God said, you are going to have a child, and Sarah is going to have it. And, you know, she kind of looks at him and like, I'm, I'm 90 years old. I don't know about that. I haven't, I haven't been able to have a child for a very, very long time. But God continued and worked with them. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, let's look at this beginning in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, take me a heifer and three-year-old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took them all and he divided them in the midst and laid them um, each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said, and he said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve Will I judge? Afterwards shall they come out with a great substance, and you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried with a good old age. But in the fourteenth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so we know that God brought them out of, that, of Egypt at, at that, at that 430, I think is what it is. I'm not uh, totally... Uh, positive about the exact number. But after that, that promise was fulfilled. And he gave it to Abram. He gave that promise to him. That it would, would come about. And it did. 400 years later. And the children of Israel came out of slavery. And they made a covenant with God also. They made a covenant. We find that in Exodus, the 24th chapter. You see, you have to understand the background of the history before you can understand what, what happened. <laughs> you've got to bring it up. You could, brought, you could jump into the middle of it, but you've got to understand what God was doing, how he was working with these people. His people that he called his children. And how he walked with them. And ruled over them. And took care of them. And they didn't have the same feelings as the leadership. As Moses and Joshua and others did. And David. But that's part of the story. So in Exodus, the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord just said, we will do. So <clears throat> there was a covenant made 
And the people agreed. And so Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men and children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people and he said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So here is the agreement being made between the children of Israel and God. We, all, the, uh, all that the Lord has said, will we do and be obedient. Remember he says, only, if only they would obey my voice. I would be there and protect them and take care of them. And Moses took of the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Adab and the twenty, and of course from there on we can, you, can, you can read it. I don't want to go. But now we have what, what is called a theocracy. God is their ruler. Moses is the spokesman for God. But God is the ruler. And he sets the rules for the children of Israel. And sometimes we say, oh, well, God was such a, uh, you know, such a tyrant. And yet they agreed to the covenant that God made with them. They agreed because God was protecting, he was taking care of them. And for 40 years now, he's going to provide the food that they eat, the clothes are not going to wear out, all of the things that they do, God is going to take care of them. He's going to have a cloud during the day to keep the sun from just baking them, and he'll have a pillar at night to have light so they can see, to get around and do things. And here you have this huge, large group of people, the children of Israel, that are encamped and that rise and go. And we, we know on the, the Feast of Trumpets, there's those special trumpets that are blown so that the children know when to... And God designed that. I don't have cell phones, but I got trumpets. And when you hear the trumpet, you do what the trumpet says. And so they went. Whenever the trumpet called, they went. And it was very well organized. You know... Um, Moses's, what was it, uh, uncle or nephew or something, wanted them to have uh, um, captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, and captains of tens. And the Worldwide Church of God did have that down in, in Big Sandy for a while. But later, God showed them a better way. And then, you know, they, uh, God says, well, you know, how about 70 elders to teach and help the people to understand? So Moses was just burden because everything this huge camp and one man and they would come to him with all the problems all the trials all the tribulations and, and he was about ready to give up and and God says well choose out some men who are worthy and, and they will be the elders and so it was very well organized and God um, ran them through the wilderness because they refused to go into the to the promised land. 
and they all the older ones that came out of they all died in the wilderness. They all perished there. And Joshua took the younger ones that were now older into the promised land. And through Joshua, they conquered that promised land. They went in there and, and they established uh, Israel in that land. And by the way, um, the Palestinians, they have no claim to that place. Because <laughs> God, God gave it to Israel, and, and so consequently, that land belongs to God's people. And uh, the Jews right now are, are there, but someday, the feet of the Messiah will stand on the Mount of Olives. And it shall be the kingdom so that promised land then went through the judges. So we had all these sets of judges. And during this time, Joshua and the judges, God was over them. He was ruling over them. He was taking care of them. He was watching over them. If they sinned, then he sent enemies against them. When they repented, he blessed them. He took care of them. He, he, did, he did what needed to be done. And what happens? They have all this freedom. They have all of this. And then Samuel, who was one of the, was the last judge. Well, actually, his, his sons were also judges. Let's go to 1 Samuel. I'm trying to bring this up fairly quickly so that I can get to the, the divided kingdom. But we have to understand the background to some degree, or we don't know why this happened. What was going on? Why were... Why, was there so much, um, so many things happening that caused the kingdom to be divided? And so we'll, we'll look at that here in 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. Uh, remember when Samuel was a young boy, the Lord called him, and, and uh, he, was, he was a very good uh, judge and, and, uh, and did what the Lord wanted him to do. But he, was, he got old, like all of us, and it came to pass when Samuel was old, verse 1, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre. In other words, they, they wanted money. Um, this is what I, you give me money, I'll, do the, I'll, I'll be your judge. And took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel uh, to Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old. Your sons walk not in your ways. Now make us a king that judges like all the nations. So they looked out and what they see? Uh, well, there was kings over all the nations. So uh, the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected me, uh, rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. So up to this point, God had literally been, they had reigned over them. It was a true theocracy. I mean, men were doing things that men do, but he was a judge. He was the one that was over them. And remember, whenever there was something that needed to be done, he would send a judge. Sometimes he even had to 
had to send a woman because there was no man that wanted to go, but he, God was, was willing to do what needs to be done to take care of his people, to watch over them. He says, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also to you. Now therefore hearken to their voice, however, yet protest solemnly to them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And so Samuel told him all the words of the Lord to the people and asked him the king, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself and for his chariots and, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. So, um, so when did the draft start? <laughs> that sounds like a draft to me, doesn't it? He will, okay, you all out there, that you're going to be my chariot. Uh, thing. You're going you're gonna to be... Uh, take care of the horses. You're going to be on the chariots. You're going to be an, a warrior. And you're inscripted into my army. You're inscripted into my army. So the draft is very old. And he says, I will appoint them captains over thousands, captains over fifties, and I will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And I will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive uh, yards, even to the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give his officers and his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. Very interesting, isn't it? Doesn't it sound a little bit like modern day? Hasn't changed much. I mean, we do have some voice. But if the government says that we're, um, the draft is back in, you better believe that it will be back in. And you shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so Samuel went out, and uh, Saul was the first one, and it wasn't very long before Saul messed up. And then David, I mean, David was an extremely honorable man, but he was also a man. And he, he had some weaknesses and some things, but God loved him. He, he truly loved David. And then Solomon came along. And here's what, what happened. Here's what happened. Here's how the, come the kingdoms were divided. Let's go now uh, to 1 Kings the 11th chapter. I've always thought this was quite interesting and quite profound in that it very much opens the door and helps us to understand. Solomon was extremely wise. God gave him the wisdom. Tremendous wisdom. I mean, you read 
Ecclesiastes, you read the Proverbs, and you see that tremendous wisdom. Why did he do what he did? But sometimes things happen, age and different things. King Solomon loved many strange women. <laughs> Foreign women. How did... How did um, you know, that's how you get to God. You, you bring in sin. You bring it in to his nation. And he will punish them. So he had strange women together with the daughter of, the, of Pharaoh. So he had, he had Pharaoh's daughter as a wife. Women of Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. All these different women of the nations concerning which the Lord said that to the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall you come in into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And so consequently, I think this is one of the biggest lessons we have, is that when we go out into the world and we become influenced by people in the world and they... they, they they start influencing us away from this word, then, we're, then there's, there's danger. Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 uh, concubines, and, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as with the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth. Now, look at the different... One of the things I was going to mention, um, because of the, of the different um, false gods that these women brought in, and you look at the history of the United States, has there ever been a president that has moved away from Christmas or Easter or any of those holidays? Has there ever been one that has ever tried or brought out that we should be keeping the commandments of God? They have a semblance of religion. They have a semblance of righteousness. But because of the customs and the things that we live in in this United States, do you think how long would they stay in office if they began to preach this? Now, it would make a very big difference in this United States if they did, if one of them started preaching it and began to teach it. It would. But boy, would it ever stir up a lot of problems. But look what happened to, to, to Solomon when he began to bring in these various foreign women. So, he had um, Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcan, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build high places for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moab, and hill that was before uh, Jerusalem and, before, and for Moloch, the abomination of the, ch uh, the children of Ammon. Uh, Moloch was the one that they sacrificed uh, uh, children to. Um, it was, um, from what I've read, it was a, a big thing with a, with a pot underneath, a, a cauldron underneath, and the arms of Moloch were 
stretched out, and they would walk up, and it was, of course, close enough to the, the fire pit. They would walk up, and they would lay their babies on this Moloch, and they would burn the, the babies in sacrifice. Uh, does it sound very familiar to anybody in this room about what we've been doing for several years since 1973? It's not quite as dramatic, but it is the same thing. And likewise he did to all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed to their God. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said to Solomon, For as much as this is done, to, uh, done of you, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely rend the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. Notwithstanding, in your days I will not do it for David your father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not rend it away from the kingdom, but will give one tribe um, to your son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And so, the kingdom was divided. And um, interestingly enough, as a Google search, uh, can you put it at the top of it uh, all the way to the beginning? I found a timeline, which I thought was extremely good, um, and it's called the, uh, the, the Divided Kingdom of Israel timeline. And what I really liked about this, uh, being a non-historian and not being able to keep time <laughs> track of things very well, um, the dates, I'm, I'm assuming they're fairly close. This is, um, this is from a, a very Jewish very Jewish, very uh, pro-Israel site. But you can actually type in Divided Kingdom Israel Timeline, and you can get just this. You don't have to go to their website. It just pops up if you, if you would like. Um, and that's how I actually found this the first time. But notice what happens. We have this split in the kingdom. We have a northern kingdom with ten tribes. And, and uh, the, the capital is Shechem, then Tezra, then Samaria. We have the southern two tribes, which are uh, uh, Judah and, and Benjamin. And at the first, all the Levites went with the, 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 the ten northern tribes. Well, Jeroboam says, eh, anybody can be a priest. Eh, just anybody. I'm, I'm going to put up two golden calves. And these are going to be your gods. And, you know, anyone can be a priest. So what happens? Well, now the Levites don't have so they all, they all decided to go back and, and be in, in, the, northern, in the southern uh, tribes. And, and so Rehoboam now, he, he builds four or five cities, strengthens the economy, despite the tribute paid to Egypt, followed God for three years, but then set up idols and shrines to foreign gods. So here's, here's what happens in, in the northern kingdom. We have no... Um, uh, no good kings, not one. Um, and yet, God sends some powerful uh, witnesses to them. Let me read what happens here real quickly to these. Uh, um, let's see if I yeah. 
the period of the divided kingdom was about 253 years. Only one dynasty reigned in Judah, the line of David. There were never any changes. There were nine dynasties in Israel. The ten tribes were always changing. They commenced with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, his son, and then all of his family was killed. The second was Basha and his son Elah, and they were all killed. Third, Zimri, and he was killed. Fourth, Omri, and there were two uh, claimants, a man named uh, Tibni, uh, contested with Omri. Omri had three successors in his family, Ahab, Azaziah, uh, Jehoram. The fifth dynasty was uh, Jehu. He killed every man, woman, and child that belonged to the family of Omri. I mean, look at, look what's going on. And we can, we can uh, move up just a little bit, uh, Brian. Here we go. Um, there's Nadab. There's Basha. There's Elam. And what was nice about this is now you can see who's, who's, who's going on, what's happening in the, in the uh, 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 southern kingdom. But look at Asa. He, he, he destroys the altars, rebuilt the altar of the god, built fortified cities, gained much wealth from plunder and the foreign conquest, removed the queen mother for worshiping Asherah, led the people to worship God from their hearts, provided peace on the home soil, and was greatly loved and given a beautiful funeral. But during that time in the northern kingdom, look at all the things that were going on and, and, and all of the changes that were happening in that northern kingdom. This, uh, there was a great deal of, of chaos and, and different things happening. And of course, uh, um, now let's go down just a little bit further. Let's, uh, okay, now um, here's an interesting one, and if, you, if no one has, has really read this guy, Ahab. <laughs> no woman, since anyone that re- reads about Jezebel is not going to, to, to give their daughter that name. <laughs> this woman was extremely wicked. And she was a princess of um, either Asheroth, uh, she was a, and she brought that foreign religion into the northern tribes. Into the, and Elijah preached powerfully against Baal and Baal worship. And it's interesting, that woman was so wicked and so bad that she even scared Elijah. I mean, it was uh, an interesting scenario. But God said, nah, don't worry about this woman. She's going to be taken care of. And so we have uh, Jehoshaphat at the same time, uh, reigning 25 years, reigning for the marriage of his son to the daughter of Ahab. who was. And so they're still making some interactions between each other. Why would he allow the daughter... His, his son to marry Jezebel and Ahab's daughter. Wow, what a way to, to do things. Um, let's, let's go down just a little bit. And remember Elijah was, was preaching powerfully um, and bringing um, lightning down, killing the priests and, and doing all of that. And yet, um, Ahaziah, Joram, uh, Jehu, all of these. There was intrigue constantly. And yet, the thing that seems to, to except for the few of the very specific ones, like 
Hezekiah, um, who came along in the in the uh, southern uh, the southern tribes, who whose dad. Uh, let's go down to that. Um, we'll skip through some of this because I'm I'm kind of running a little long here. Let's go down to where um, um, Ahaz. Yeah. Okay, Ahaz is sacrificed his own son to pagan gods. Uh, nailed the temple door shut. Now you can read about Ahaz if you'd like. And of course at the same time Hosea is there and that is the end of the, of the northern kingdom. Um, Hosea suffered the heavy taxation and uh, the Assyrians came in and they took over the, the northern kingdoms and they took them away. Um, except for some of the very, very poor. And after that, it was an Assyrian kingdom in the north. But Ahaz now, who is, who is a very pagan, very evil uh, um, ruler in the southern kingdom, has Hezekiah uh, go on down. Now, Hezekiah... was a devoted follower of God, reopened the temple doors, purified the temple, reinstated the priest and their duties, organized extra, uh, um, the orchestra that David set up, uh, was an aid to worship, destroyed idols, um, including the bronze snake. Remember, they began to worship the bronze snake? And so he had that destroyed. That was, that was Hezekiah that did that. Um, that um, was set up by Moses as uh, so began to uh, worship it, celebrated the Passover, even invited people living in the north to participate, constructed large public waterworks, was given extra 15 years of life, and foolishly showed uh, messengers wealth in the temple. Um, were, you know, even the best of them sometimes were, did things that were foolish. But Hezekiah brought... Um, a period of worship and peace to that kingdom. <coughs> Remember now that the, there, are, there, are, there are foreigners living in the north, and that becomes a problem also for them. But um, we go down through this now. We've got, we got Manasseh that, that reigned for 55 years, rebuilt. Look what happens. Manasseh rebuilds all the pagan shrines. Sacrifice one of his sons. So what, what's happening? Where are the families? What's going on? Why are they doing this? Um, um, Hezekiah's mother was um, Ahijah, or Ahijah, however you pronounce it, Ahijah, which is a worshiper of God. His mother may have been the uh, uh, reason for um, Hezekiah's ability to, to, to uh, not follow after his dad. It's a very good possibility. I don't know. But you just read through it and you realize uh, one dynasty, they have all of this worship, they go on for several years, and then all of a sudden we have a next dynasty, and, and they have back to paganism, uh, back to the sacrifices, uh, back to all the same old things that we, we had before. And so... Um, and then he said, um, 
idol right in the temple murdered many of his own people, repented during the Assyrian captivity. So I think that there was a little bit of repentance there. I, I, I would have to go back and not, I'm not going to bring him more. Then Ammon, he only, he, he only was uh, king for two years. And then Josiah reigned. But, you know, he was a little boy when they first, first went in there. And loved God with all his heart, repaired the temple, found lost scroll of the law. He promised to obey it, lest God delay the destruction of Judah until after his death. Personally oversaw the major project of destroying idol shrines, restated priests of God, celebrated Passover with greater zeal than had since Samuel's day, was greatly loved by the people. And, and you read Josiah's life, and you read Hezekiah's life, and, uh, and why? Why didn't they just continue? And of course, in this timeline, we have all of these prophets <laughs> that are prophesying about the doom that's going to happen uh, to, to, um, to Judah, and that they're going to go into captivity, and they're going to be uh, taken into captivity. And all of this is going on at the same time that we have rulers that are, are, are taking them into different um, sets of idolatry and stuff. Let's go up to the next part, part here. Now, uh, Jehoahaz jailed and taken to Egypt where he died. Jehoiakim um, burned part of God's words given to Jeremiah was a puppet king for Egypt. And then Babylon watched gold and articles taken from the temple to Babylon, saw the first exile in which Daniel was taken. Jehoiachin uh, uh, saw the next exile to exile, the next exile to Babylon. And Je, uh, Jedekiah saw the temple burned and Jerusalem destroyed, was tortured and carried away in the final exile to, to, to Babylon. And so that was the end of the southern kingdom, and it was carried captive uh, uh, to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see the, the, the divided kingdom and what went on. And it's very interesting. And, of course, you, you study all those kings, and you study the, the parallel between them, and that's the reason why I like that timeline. I thought that was very good, the way they, they, they laid that out and all the different things. Um, brethren, we have a... A very wonderful future ahead of us. Um, down through history, men have, have tried, and I think this is one of the best um, attempts at ruling and, and having a, uh, a wonderful place to live in America. Um, very thankful for living in America and the, the American way of life and everything. But someday, um, something's going to happen. <laughs> uh, and even just like the northern and southern tribes, with the things that are going on, it's also going to come um, to an end. And one of these days, we'll have the greatest opportunity, and that is to bring the theocratic kingdom back. This time it won't be um, just, you know, God and a few men, really. It will be God and God sons and daughters that will be ruling on this earth will be a tremendously powerful theocratic kingdom um, that we will rule from. He said um, in Revelation, the, the 20th chapter, in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that has, that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. 
That's us, brethren, in this room. We have that potential to, to be there, to, um, to reign and to make the theocratic kingdom work for all of mankind and to bless mankind with that kingdom. One more scripture. I, I, you probably get tired of me going to it, but I love Isaiah, the second chapter. Well, I love, I, I love all of Isaiah because it's, it's so prophetic, including 11 and different ones in there. But remember, the kingdom is going to, not all the, the um, um, governments are going to be destroyed. There is going to be, at that time, many different ones that will survive, as we see in the book of Zechariah. Egypt and different ones that are going to survive. Um, In verse 2, And it shall come to pass in that last day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. That's the ultimate goal. The kingdom of God on the earth and all nations ruled by God. And Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Rulership on this earth. No longer leaving it up to man to bring in idolatries, to bring in false religions, to bring in things that will not be godly. We will make covenants with people and they will be obedient to those covenants. Many people shall go and say, Come you, let us go up to the mountain of the, of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of His ways and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord shall go out from Jerusalem. Brethren, I look forward to that day. I know we live in a, um, in a wonderful uh, uh, society today, but there's even a, a greater and more wonderful society coming in which God will be ruler over all.